Good morning, Victory Church. Good morning, good morning. So good to see all of you. Uh, my name's Kate, uh, and as Troy said, I have the privilege of serving in a variety of ways here at Victory. Uh, absolutely love this church and love being a part of it. Uh, thanks, Troy. I think he's up in the kids' ministry. For that introduction, though, and um, thanks for, for his service and his willingness to serve in this season as our interim pastor. Um, it's a privilege to work with him. Uh, as Joe actually just alluded to, um, I want to say thanks to everyone who has had a, uh, a hand in setting up today's sermon or service, and everyone who has served in, in some capacity today. Uh, can we just give it up for all of our volunteers? With that, uh, Joe also alluded to the fact that uh, you can be a volunteer, you can serve, and a great way to make this church feel like home is actually to get involved. So uh, do submit a connect card or turn to your neighbor. I think as Chantel said, someone will know something uh, if you start asking around. So we'd love to have you partake in everything that's going on here at Victory. You know, today we get the, uh, the chance to conclude our transformational series. Um, can we give it up for Pastor Troy also as we look back on the past month? He has uh, given us a look at what transformation uh, might look like collectively, individually, uh, and, and we've been encouraged by him that we can expect to see splendor uh, in our latter days, no matter where we find ourselves right now. Uh, all these messages can actually be found on our YouTube channel uh, or our app, so I, I definitely encourage you to uh, to go back and actually listen to them for yourself. But today, um, I am going to consider transformation uh, in the lens of the heart, uh, just how that impacts our perspective, which of course all of these messages have alluded to. Um, but when I think of transformation in scripture, uh, my head immediately goes to Acts. So um, let's turn now to Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 22. Oh, and by the way, uh, my family's here today, which is super exciting for me. So mom, dad, and Mitchell, three of us are So thanks for coming. Uh, okay, so Acts uh, chapter 9, verses 1 through 22. And um, as is now our custom, if you just stand in reverence for the word of God, if you're in here. This reads, I'm reading the ESV, this reads, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him back to into, brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. 
And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. He has seen a vision of He has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much evil has he done to your saints in Jerusalem? And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. I ask God that you would move me out of the way, that you might speak to your people this morning, and that we might hear everything that you have for us. It's in Jesus' name we ask and pray these things. Amen. Amen. You may be seated again. So the title of my message this morning is Change My Mind. And my main point that I want to keep in mind uh, is that the gospel has unlimited power to transform. The gospel has unlimited power to transform. So a, uh, a popular meme these days, are you guys familiar with memes? They are, for those of you who don't know, uh, it's, it's basically an image that is adorned with a clever or funny caption, and it's often shared on social media or the internet. Um, and usually the caption or content of a meme or photo is, is edited so that you always get kind of one meme that you recognize. You can also see them as like, change my mind, maybe a hashtag, or see it on Twitter posts or whatnot. Um, anyways, in this case, I'm thinking of a, of a meme that has a photo of a guy who's sitting at a table, and hanging from the table is a sign that basically says, his opinion, or, or hot take, as I'd like to like to call it, about something, and then it follows with, change my mind. So I could say, dogs are better than cats, change my mind. And the idea would be that someone would come up and try and change his mind about the thesis that he has. Or, you know, here we are in church, I could say, Jesus is Lord, change my mind. So similarly, again, this could happen with a tweet or other kind of social media post, uh, without the picture, it simply says the opinion and changed my mind. Everybody tracking with me? Good? Okay. So the important thing to note about these memes and the change my mind content is that they are often circulated within followers and viewpoints that don't actually seek to change their mind, but to really laugh and kind of re-emphasize that same viewpoint. 
these images get tossed around as, as basically, you know, sarcastic. You could never change my mind on this, or I have the right answer, and I actually want to change your mind on this. I mean, the fact of the matter is that I've put before you is so obvious, I already said it, dogs are better than cats, that you literally could not change my mind on that. Amen. All right, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> so I, I think that these are hilarious most of the time. I love to partake in them. I don't actually make them, but I love to, to look through them uh, and thoroughly uh, enjoy the content from the organizations and people that I follow, which admittedly, admittedly generally already reinforce what I believe. And this, to me, uh, pretty accurately reflects how we operate beyond the social media world, right? We situate ourselves in a particular worldview and within particular preferences, and as much as we think that we may be willing to consider someone else's viewpoint, more often than not, we prefer to live in echo chambers that reinforce our own opinions and that invalidate or seek to invalidate viewpoints of others with whom we disagree. I mean, politics, anyone? There's like my case in point. In fact, uh, we so often get situated within our own narratives and viewpoints and circumstances that we start imposing limits on what is possible if things don't specifically go our way. I mean, this can lead us to the blame game. This is their fault. Or to seeing people not as people, but as agents of another team or another value system. It leads us to see ourselves as insiders and those who don't believe what we believe as outsiders. It even projects discouragement on areas of our society that we believe are forever fractured. Or it leads us to thinking there is only one way to redeem these fractures. Or to see, you know, any kind of good development or change happen because we don't see a possible path out. But this is not the way of the gospel. That's the way of the world. And this brings us back to our passage today. So, again, we are in the book of Acts. The book of Acts immediately picks up as the Gospels close. This is the, the book of Acts is actually the second volume of Luke. Um, and it's counting and capturing the life of the first century church after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. We see uh, in Acts really the radical nature of that first century uh, church, the first century believers' faith. And I would encourage you uh, not just to read this chapter, but go back and read uh, the whole the whole book because it really will uh, it'll fire you up. Uh, the things that they suffered and um, what they the, the what they gave of their lives to see that this message got to us today. So. Uh, Saul was actually, who we read about in our passage today, who is, just for reference, that is the Apostle Paul, who will become the Apostle Paul, uh, but as of now, he is Saul, and uh, he was introduced to us in a, a few chapters prior, where he is viciously persecuting the church, viciously per per persecuting anyone who has any association with uh, the way which is, we heard references in this passage today, but which suggests alignment with Christ, or those who follow Christ. 
And Saul, at this time, he is a he is a devout Jew, and so much so that he is willing to he wants to take out the the Christians. And uh, we see that, and in, in again, the brutality with which he persecutes this church. So Saul, again, we'll read um, here in chapter 9, verses 1 through 4, says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So Saul is headed up to Damascus to continue this, uh, this stretch of persecution. For those, again, belonging to the way, men or women, how about that? Men or women, he was willing to persecute back in that time because they were apparently that committed to the word so he's on a mission to take down the church but on his way Damascus again is it's about uh, it's northeast of Jerusalem about 125 miles so we're thinking about six day journey back in that time on foot and Suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. So in this moment, Saul has an encounter with Christ. We even read on that, that he wasn't the only one to see the <clears throat> hear the voice. But that he actually, those around him heard it but didn't see anyone. And later on in Acts, Paul will, Paul will tell us once he becomes the Apostle Paul that actually the others saw the light, but they did not have the same experience as, as Saul did. So this is a personal encounter with Christ. Just him. Christ is after Saul. And I also want to note here... That as Jesus identifies himself, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. What does that tell us about the relationship of the church to Christ? How amazing is that, that Jesus himself is persecuted when we as believers are persecuted? So Saul, now blinded, follows the orders and heads into, into Damascus, led by those he was with. Didn't eat or drink for a few days, for three days. And then, someone else is brought into the story. So, in order to reach Saul, the Lord uses Ananias. Stick with me here. Ananias He's called to be faithful to the voice that he hears, Ananias, he's, and he said, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen a vision, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. 
And here he has authority from the chief priests to and here and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. So the faithfulness of Ananias is absolutely critical in Saul's conversion. And in this moment we see that Ananias here senses a limitation. He's like, not this guy. It cannot be this guy. This guy has been persecuting the church. You've got this wrong. Why? Why would I go to him? He's got authority from the other guys, the other side, to take us out. Why would I go to him? But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. So praise God for Ananias' faithfulness, right? That he took God's word for exactly what it was. He did question, he did resist, but he ultimately moved forward. And his faithfulness allowed for Saul to be filled with the Holy Spirit and allowed for, for, his, for his conversion, which I would argue is to our benefit this day. Saul is immediately, immediately saved. Something like scales fall off his eyes, and he regained his sight, and he rose and was baptized. The implication there is that he accepted Christ for exactly what it was. He allowed the vision uh, to, 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 to he, he believed it, right? The, the uh, baptism being an outward sign of an inward choice. It was not the baptism that saved him. It was his inward acceptance that what had happened was actually Christ coming to him and an actual fulfillment of that vision. And immediately he was baptized. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. Look at the contrast there. He was previously, he was three days ago, he is headed off to persecute the church. And now he is in the synagogues saying he is the son of God. Talk about transformation. Three days later, transformation. Verse 21, and all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has not he come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests, chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Once again, we see the, the glory of what has happened here. Those watching, those watching are amazed by what is happening because they know the story. They know that, that, that Saul was not their guy, and yet all of a sudden he is their guy. 
And I think we see that as, as we look at our own world. There are, there are people that we have written off. Couldn't be them. Couldn't be them. Right? We, we think that uh, the circumstances that we have witnessed dictate the degree to which they can be used or that they can serve or that they can um, become something. But Saul, faithful to what he has now accepted, increased all the more despite how perplexed and confounded the Jews who live in Damascus were by proving that Jesus was the Christ. He has made a wholehearted switch in his beliefs. Changed his mind three days ago? No change in his mind. But the gospel, the gospel has the power to change anything. The gospel has no bounds on what might happen. Similarly, it's worth pointing out while we're, while we're in the text here, or maybe I'm thinking of another text, but this captures, this, this, this idea of transformation captures the, the bigger picture of our faith as believers, right? Because we as Christians celebrate the fact, rejoice in the fact, are committed to the fact that we have moved from death to life. Once again, in three days, from death to life. That's a heck of a transformation. That is a hopeful transformation. That is a transformation that is marked by limitless bounds of what Christ's atoning work on the cross did do and what it can do. Praise God. So for us, there are no bounds. There are no bounds on what God can do when we say yes to him. There are no bounds on what God can do to your heart, your own heart, as we have talked about this mostly in the lens of someone else. But there are no bounds on what God can do as you look in your own life Perhaps you see dead spaces, dead relationships, seemingly dead ends, habits that you feel like can't be broken, addictions, despair, physical or mental uh, healing needed. There is no bounds on what the gospel might do if you allow it to enter in that space. And I don't say that saying that those things are not real and that they don't, uh, we suffer through them. That's real. We, we face real challenges. But the gospel says something about them. And the gospel allows us to face those challenges with hope. Because we have moved from death to life. And God can take any death and move it from death to life. There are no bounds on what God can do to the hearts of those you least expect. Who is it for you that you think has nowhere to go? That you have dismissed, that you so disagree with, and let's be honest here with ourselves, that you believe is part of a particular group or a political party or country or policy that is beyond repair. 
I think it's probably safe to say that we all have those beliefs, whether we like to face them or not. And let me remind you, as we consider those things, that as sinners, uh, you and I too are too, too far gone with nowhere to go. But what we see in Paul, or Saul, I should say, who then did get a new name, a completely new name. I mean, it's amazing. What we see in him is that no one, no one, no one is too far gone. And that, I think, as we consider ourselves a people that exists to see people reconciled to God and to each other, that is the vision of Victory Church. We must believe that. We must believe that there is unlimited power, unlimited power of the gospel to transform every single person, no matter affiliation, background, fill in the blank. No one is too far gone. And we must live and operate, operate in that first with the reminder that our expectations of God may not even match what transformation will ultimately look like. But the gospel can and does radically transform. It wins constantly the game of change my mind because it can change a mind, it can change a heart, it can change a church, it can change a city, it can change a nation, it can change a world, and it did change the world. 2,000 years ago that we still celebrate and we are still here on Sunday preaching this word. To be agents of reconciliation, we ultimately must believe that reconciliation is possible. We have to believe it's possible. Believing that God is truly reconciling all things to himself and for us as believers that God has invited us into this epic story and this super thrilling transformation of all things. He came that we may have life and have it abundantly, and we will have it abundantly when we allow the gospel to do the work that it has been designed to do, death to life. So today, I would be remiss for anyone here who hasn't gotten yet to experience that transformation of heart, that transformation of mind that starts with a simple yes, a simple yes, just like Saul, I would be remiss not to say that as if you listen to this sermon today and you sitting here and you feel like the scales have fallen off and you want to join in on this epic story to give you the opportunity to do so. With all heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you today, if you want to give your life to Christ and experience this radical transformation, I encourage you to raise your hand now. We'd love to pray with and for you and walk with you in this journey. Amen, amen. Praise God, praise God that we get to partake in this transformation. Praise God that he sent his son Christ for us, that we might truly live with limitless and boundless power.
Church, we love you. Thank you for being here with us today. And we ask that you would go in peace this week and that you would proclaim the name of Jesus in all that you do. Amen.